everybody. Thank you for joining Hello. us today for episode one of Legends of Grayskull, the podcast where we're going to discuss the history, the mystery, the magic, and the mythology of He-Man, She-Ra, New Adventures, Golden Books, Kid Stuff, Lady Bird, UK Annuals, anything you can think of that has Masters of the Universe, He-Man, She-Ra, and all the characters we know and love. I'm your host, Matthew Duch, here along with Sean Skavarna. And the co-host. <laughs> equal host. Equal host. Like host. <laughs> We're both hosts. The hostesses. Yes. The hostesses. <laughs> so how are you doing today, Sean? I'm all right. I'm just a little cold down in my basement, but I can deal with that because we're going to talk some masters, and that is so much more fulfilling for me than the cold. Absolutely. Uh, so since this is our first episode, we'll take a minute here and and kind of give you guys a little background on why we're doing it, our upbringings, and then we'll launch into our first topic of discussion, which is the Mike One Productions uh, three-part episode, The Beginning uh, so yeah, so basically me and Sean, we talked back and forth, um, met through the different Facebook groups that are out there, and, uh, actually I, I won a very nice piece of his art that I managed to sneak into the background today. Aha, the Shira piece. The Shira piece. <laughs> and we've been talking back and forth since then, we got a lot, bouncing ideas off each other just chatting, because I know for me personally... I'm the He-Man guy in all of my friend groups, you know, and so it's kind of hard to to talk deep masters, the deep cuts with these guys, because they're the guys who are like, oh, I remember that floaty ghost thing. <laughs> and so it's, it's nice with the Facebook groups and all, and all the technology we had today to be able to meet guys like Sean, who was, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were probably the He-Man guy in your friend group. Oh, I, I still am. Uh, my friends, uh, we can sit and talk Marvel movies. We can talk comic books. The minute I get into He-Man, there's that element of, I had the toys when I was a kid and I'd watch the cartoon. I'd be like, well, have you thought about that? I get into stuff. And then the next thing you know, they just have the blank faces. And I'm like, dude, you're a geek. How can we not talk about this? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's the craziest thing. Like it, to me, it's just, it's as simple as breathing. Like masters was always there, you know, and for some other people, it didn't capture them quite the same way as it did for me or for, for you or for other fans out there in the groups and uh, anywhere else that they're passionate about the brand. Well, I think, I think a big part of that is the fact that, and it's been talked ad nauseum and we're not going to get too deep into it, but masters has gone away and come back, gone away and come back and gone away, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, Whereas, you know, your Marvels, your DCs, your Turtles, your Transformers, they have stayed pretty much consistently since the 80s. So I think that's a lot of people's problem. Out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. So, and that's one of the reasons me and Sean finally went, hey, why aren't we doing a podcast? Because we want to get this uh, information out there. We want to talk about the stuff that no one's talking about. So that's our main objective with this podcast. We want to go to the deep cuts. We want to discuss some some really deep in the lore things. You know, like I said, Ladybird books, UK annual stuff we didn't get here in the states. We want to take a look mm-hmm. at that. Some of the, even some of the stories in episodes that people really don't talk about. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get we'll get and we'll do the we'll do the mainstream stuff too. 
But I mean, everyone's talked about House of Shikoti. Everyone's talked about Dragon's <laughs> Gift. Everyone's really talked about the 87 movie, even. Um, mm-hmm. We're looking more at like, let's talk about the Golden Books. Let's talk about, you know, new adventures. Um, you know, and we even have plans to get to Netflix Shira. Our hope mm-hmm. for all you guys watching is that you come, enjoy, leave some comments down below, um, like, subscribe, and just follow mm-hmm. along with us. If if you don't like uh, an era or a story that we're doing this week, come back next week because we're gonna we're gonna mm-hmm. jump all around. We're not trying to go in any sort of order. It's basically gonna be me and Sean going. You know, this popped into my head. Let's talk about this. It's kind of a potluck kind of a podcast in a sense, I guess you could call it. Um, and that and that's the thing too. Like it, New Adventures always gets the bad rap, but what's interesting to me is. In these, in the groups on Facebook and in different places, 2000X is almost like the redheaded stepchild of the Masters franchise in certain ways. There's a lot of people that are our age or older that loved He Man. They're like, I never watched the show. And that's kind of why I'm like, let's just start there and, you know, kind of see where it ha- we go. We're not going to go 2000X every single episode, but that's kind of my happy little place right now. Um, I know we've talked about it too and stuff like that. And, and, uh, I know, um, there's a lot of good mileage to that one. And unfortunately it was just cut short. So, yep. So let's, uh, let's start it off here before we get too deep in, sure. uh, let's just kind of say how, how we first discovered masters and probably kind of how we left masters. And that should bring us up to getting back into it in the 2000 era or if you got into it a little bit before. So uh, All right. why don't you start us off, Sean? All right. Well, um, I started with Masters at the – I'm pretty sure it was uh, like the Five and Dime uh, McCrory's uh, department store in Baltimore. My mom used to run errands in the day. I, she was a stay-at-home mom with me, so I had to go with her. And when we'd go out, usually she'd let me go into the toy aisle. And it was probably – I know Masters was launched close to my birthday, so it wouldn't surprise me. If I went down that aisle and then boom, there's these new figures I never saw close to my birthday. Yeah, I want to say it's so, like October, November. Of, October uh, of uh, 80, 81 or 82, I want to say, is when they, they debuted. 82, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I don't remember every single figure, like the, the chronology of each one I got. I remember He-Man. And He-Man was the one that grabbed me the most when I was a kid. If I saw... The heroic-looking character, usually he was the one I wanted first. And I saw him on the peg, and it turned into, like, a episode of Law & Order with my mom and I arguing back and forth, like, in a courtroom, why I wanted the figure and why she wouldn't let me get the figure. But I was lucky enough to wear her down to the point where I left with that figure uh, at, at the end of the day. And that started the whole ball rolling. No filmation. No nothing. It was just those figures on the peg. And um, I was I was hook, line, and sinker with the line. It was a staple in my toy collection for, I'd say, all the way up until probably 1988, to be honest. Uh, like, the movie reawakened me looking at them in a different way. And it wasn't like I had to do a chapter and verse to the movie, but there were elements of the movie where I, like, Skeletor scared me. So I made my Skeletor even scarier when I played and stuff like that. Um, but then eventually, you know, like probably 89, 
into the 90s, I got into comic books again, like the Batman movie reawakened my comic book excitement. Then I got into the X-Men, and the X-Men fueled most of the 90s. And what got me back into He-Man, and you and I just talked about this in the last couple of days uh, privately, was the local video store was selling off some of their used VHSs. Wait, we're not talking DVDs, kids. We're talking VHSs. And they had some of the Filmation He-Man for sale. So I picked up a few and brought them home. And the first one I watched was uh, Damar the Demon. And there was something magical about rewatching that episode for me. And uh, like one of the moments that gave me chills, like I, the opening was enough for me to be smiling. But the moment that gave me chills in that episode still is like Man at Arms is reading over the scripture about what is Damar and he's brought to our dimension. He's going to bring the darkness from his dimension to our world and it'll destroy Eternia and everything. And him just turning to Adam, Adam, we need help. And then by the power of Grayskull and I got chills. I, I And from that point, it was I started writing some fan fiction again about my version of an updated Masters of the Universe and I kind of got my toys out again and it was, you know, it, it was fun to revisit and comic book shop a couple years later, there's He-Man on the cover of Toy Fair, but not the He-Man I know. 2000X was about to hit. Boom. <laughs> it's like every, it's secular. Every 10 years, something about He-Man brings me back to the brand. So I got into 2000X. I bought some figures. A couple years later, I actually watched the cartoon and, it just it's always been there simmering in the background until I got into classics and I've just been yeah, I've been a ball of crazy ever since. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I I got a slightly different origin story here. Um so I started off by the time I was even born, I'm a little younger than Sean in your I guess you could say your traditional He Man fan. Uh it was basically everything was already out. We already were into She-Ra, He-Man, you know, the Filmation run had ended. All the toys were out. Um, so I can't remember a time in my life that He-Man was not a part of it. Um, I've got pictures of getting Castle Grayskull for Christmas nice. when I was, when I had to have been three or younger. So all my earliest memories, Castle Grayskull's always been sitting in the corner of my bedroom. You know, I've always had He-Man, Skeletor, everybody. Um, growing up around that time, one of the great things was, you know, we'd hit the local, uh, it wasn't a Goodwill, I don't remember if there were Goodwills back then, but the local thrift shops. And, mm -hmm. I mean, you could get figures for like a quarter, you know. Vehicles nice. were like a couple bucks. And I actually remember one time with my mom at the thrift store and I could either get uh wind Raider or I could get like three figures. And I, I don't remember all which three they were. I remember one for sure was Manny faces. Nice. And of course I picked the three figures, mm -hmm. but then I ne I never owned a wind Raider as a kid. But uh. Uh, <laughs> for me, the biggest the biggest draw has always been the stories, the the filmation episodes. I had a ton of the golden books, um, which unfortunately were lost over the years, but I managed to recollect almost all of them. I got a couple to go, mm -hmm. but and that's and that's really 
where I always was. It was the we'd go to a local video store and I'd rent the the volumes, the Magic Window, the VHS tapes, and yep. And we'd sit at home. My mom would. We had uh, two VCRs that we'd hook up together whenever we rented videos. My mom would record down to blank tapes, so I had these blank uh, tapes just full of episodes. <laughs> I'm waiting for the men in black coats to just like barge into your door right now. FBI warning. You know? Yeah. You know, when, when I finally got old enough to, to read that and understand what it was saying, it's like, wait a minute. You mean what we were doing all those years? We weren't supposed it's to like, read? uh, <laughs> that's what they always did. And then they, they like a little tangent, but like movies and stuff uh, late in later years when we got cable and they had like the free movie weekends like yeah. HBO and stuff like that same thing they pop in a blank tape and so we'd have this whole block of like four or five movies just randomly because they just show random movies and it's it's just like the whole HBO weekend block on VHS. Hey, uh, it, that was the beauty of growing up in the eighties. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you how many VHS tapes that we had where it was just. Here's all this stuff all over the place, and yeah, and I'd revisit them all the time because it's like, hey, how cool is that? So I get it. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, looking back now, like, I didn't think of it at the time. You know, nothing, money didn't mean anything, but those VHS tapes were pretty expensive back in the day, especially in 1980s money because you see those store displays flowing around eBay and that now, and most of them say $24.99 or twenty twenty nine ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have to also remember back in those days, the, the typical VHS to get the movies, like the rentals, mm-hmm. those were over a hundred bucks a pop for one of those. So in a sense, it's like, eh, I'd rather pay 30 bucks and get like th- a three pack or a five pack. I yeah. forget how many there were. And it's like, okay, I can record your movie and I don't have to pay the money for it. Well, that's what I'm so, saying. Yeah, I'm saying the, I'm that the, guy. Like, the, like one volume of He-Man was like 25 mm-hmm. bucks back in the 80s. Yeah. Like that's that's a lot of money. I mean, I can, get, okay. I, can yeah. get, I can get DVDs now for, you know, those come out at 25, 30 bucks new releases. So yeah. with inflation and everything, like. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I'm di- uh, we're getting on tangents. <laughs> yep. So, uh, uh, yeah, I grew up always being around He-Man. Um, obviously, as I grew up, you know, Ninja Turtles came in, Power Rangers came in, uh, Girls came in. And it was probably around uh, middle school, probably like 7th, 8th grade, sort of, like pretty close to high school. Like I was homesick one day and... Uh, nothing was on TV, the usual game shows, facts of life, whatever was rerunning, and I just wasn't feeling it. I just wanted to pop something in just to maybe maybe take my mind off how I was feeling, drift off to sleep a little bit. And so I was going to the blank VHSs, open up the cabinet and see what we got, and just one of the things that, you know, and all mine simply said He-Man on the side. Um, and I just popped it in, and, you know, I'm like, oh, I haven't watched this in a long time and, and, of course, I'd never really gotten away from, you know, I've always been a nerd. So I was still into Spider-Man. I was still into the X-Men, all that. I was getting into comics. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like just coming back from, from cold turkey. I've, I've always been drawn to the fantasy elements, the superhero stuff. Uh, and I, it's just what I enjoy. I love I love these fantasy worlds. So I popped that in. 
And just like the rest of the day, I just I burned through that whole VHS, and I probably did at least one more. And uh, by the weekend, I'd like caught back through like everything I had recorded, and it was just this reawakening. Same thing. I still had my toys tucked away in a, in a box mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> I pulled them out. I started displaying them. I set Castle Grayskull and Snake Mountain back up, and it was just like uh like. And at that point, I'm I'm going, well, why did I walk away from this for so long, you know? Because no matter what, same thing, it always comes back to Masters for me. I mm-hmm. dabble in other stuff, but the heart and soul is, this line has just clicked with me throughout all these years. It's some of my earliest memories, great fantasy, um, been through there through tough times, and it just gives me an escape and some joy because these stories are so good. There's so much potential now with all the stories that have been told. I mean, and we're just ta- just talking like classic era Masters of the Universe. You're talking dozens of books, dozens of comics. You're talking 130 episodes, a movie, you know, uh, newspaper strips that I never even knew about until actually probably about five years ago now. Same here. Uh and that's the thing, you just keep digging deeper and deeper. I mean, I mentioned to you, over mm-hmm. Christmas here, I got the Character Guide in the World Compendium. And, mm-hmm. my God, that book, like, there's just so much information in there. And so, I mean, they got, and, and every country did their own thing, too. So there's stuff we never would have known about from mm-hmm. back in the day, you know? Yeah. So, and that's what keeps bringing me back. There's just so much potential there. Um. Shortly after I rediscovered the my VHSs, that's when the commemorative series came out, where they re-released classic figures. I bought a bunch of those, and then right thereafter, we got the 2000X. 2000X. So why don't uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us about? So you saw that toy fair, mm-hmm. um, and then so you went out immediately and bought all the figures and loved the cartoon immediately, right? What happened actually was I, I found the Toy Fair issue, and I was in the comic shop. I would go in there weekly, check out the new stuff, and when that issue hit, I remember like jumping and grabbing it off the shelf because I was like, what? They're bringing back Masters. Like, wh- What's this all about? And the look of He-Man on that cover was so more influenced by that time period that I'm like, I don't know if I'm okay with the look – but I got to see what they're going to do because I've never, ever seen a toy line that made me get that excited in my life. But this every time it's like I think part of part of the appeal of Masters just in general is it's the first thing I ever discovered on my own when I was a kid. And there's like a freedom to that of saying I learned about this. I discovered that this is for me. My mom introduced me to all the other things that I love, like a uh, Superman Batman, Spider-Man, things like that. The, the superheroes in the comic books, Zorro, stuff like that. But He-Man and Masters, that was mine. So um, there's always like, I'm always happy to see something new. I'm always happy that something else is happening other than what I grew up with, because then it shows there is a longevity. And um, so I, I picked it up. I, I have it upstairs somewhere or down in the basement here somewhere. I, I still have unpacking to do after how long now, but I know it's here somewhere. And, and I read that thing cover to cover, just all about the master stuff because I, I couldn't get over seeing the designs of the, the, the Skeletor design 
made me just sit there with my jaw dropped to the floor. Like that was Skeletor the way that I always saw him. Uh, Trap Jaw was, he looked completely like he looked like Frankenstein, like Frankenstein's monster to me. He looked really creepy and, and he looked like somebody you would not want to meet and have to battle with, you know, and, uh, man at arms, his, it's like, I remember man at arms being this chunky figure. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, he's like ready to take on an army by himself with the design. The four horsemen did. So in my head, I kept thinking, this is going to be too expensive for me to buy. They're never going to release these, the mass market and all this stuff. Well, I think it was probably close to a year later. I went into a Toys R Us and I went into the action figure aisle. I always would check it out. No matter what age I am, I still go through the toy aisle. Same here. And I turned around and on the end cap, there was Masters again. It was like going to McCrory's, the five and dime when I was a kid. There they are. And I just stood there and I was giddy as hell. Like I, I, I was just like, they're here, they're here. Oh my God. You know, and I, they only had He-Man and Skeletor on the peg from what I remember of that. Cause it was like a blur. Basically it was like a fever dream of here they are. I grabbed He-Man and Skeletor and I ran to the checkout. Cause I'm like, I couldn't believe I finally could get these. And I took them home. I've never opened them. I actually have them still in my basement unopened. The The original line that I bought, I had on card, mint on card, mm-hmm. because I just was like it, the, the appeal of having them on card, because I never did that with the originals, still it works for me. And then, and then years later, I went to eBay, and uh, the reason I went to eBay to do it was actually uh, YouTube. YouTube, I found out that the 2000X show was all there. There were a couple different uh, people and different channels on YouTube that had the whole uh, show there because I missed the 2000X series when it aired. I think I saw one episode, and it was partially scheduling and partially I didn't have cable at points. And uh, so I went to YouTube and tried it, and initially it didn't wow me. Initially – this is why the, I asked him this question because I, I, I already knew the answer. <laughs> I'll be honest. I mean, the thing is, there's a magic to filmation that I'm not going to ever deny. And, um, like, for me, I feel like if people could look at my DNA, you'd find a strand in there with John Irwin's voice screaming, I have the power. You'd find a strand in there with the Shuki Levy uh, theme song kicking in. And that would just be like, you'd see like lightning rippling across that strand of DNA because it's such a part of my childhood and being at this point. So when I saw 2000 X, I was like, okay, so they didn't remake the theme song. They're doing like a whole different kind of theme song for this. And then I was like, okay, so when he yells, I have the power, we're not having, primal scream i have the power it's i have the power it's like let's get ready to rumble and i'm like absolutely okay it was it was jarring for me when i first started watching it and i think one of the first episodes i might have seen it felt like they were doing nothing more in my quick glance of it than just doing here's a filmation episode that we just updated for this show and so that didn't grab my attention it didn't grab me in quite the way that i was excited for it to 
So I don't remember why. There was this, just this one point in the mid-2000s where I was in my room and I said, I got to give it a, another try. It's He-Man. Why don't I like this? You know, why the, the figures look amazing. All this other stuff was hitting me really well in the, in the right places for the line. I got to give it another shot. And then I, I started watching them over and over on YouTube, one after the other. And uh, finding out, holy crap, we have an origin story for the first time. This is legitimately starting the ball rolling for this series. Mm-hmm. We have an Adam that doesn't look like he's just, you know, dressed. And then, boom, he gets a tan to become He-Man. And I love that about it. And I found out that the the world building and the continual storytelling of a bigger story, it's like there are still things that aren't 100% the way I'd like it to be. But – I love their storytelling so much on that series compared to the episodic way that filmation had to do it because of syndication. And, um, yeah, I mean, it took a little time. It took me probably about a a few days of that YouTube watching to finally go, no, this is working. I just needed to give it a little time for it to kick in and feel right. And then out of nowhere, it's like I ate it up and then it's like I was the biggest 2000x person on these groups going like you've got to try it if you've never seen it give it a couple episodes here's some good episodes watch these you know and and uh, i even took it to the point of doing reviews of the episodes on uh on lucky legends but uh yeah i mean that kind of set the ball rolling for us to meet then in a sense too it's you know just dishing out the love for the 2000x the what I feel now is almost like the forgotten line of He-Man in some ways because New Adventures, there's always people throwing hate on that thing. And I don't think it deserves as much hate as it gets, to be honest. Yes, it was different, but, um, you know, it's like they tried something. It didn't work. Okay, but 2000X feels like we want to get it back to what it was, but we're going to make it tell the kind of stories that we can tell now because the people – who love the original series are more mature, they can handle this kind of storytelling. And even as a kid, I like that storytelling better. I like that I'm watching something proceed daily into a bigger picture. No, exactly. And, and we'll get into new adventures, obviously, so I don't want to go down that road too much now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, for me, so I had the commemorative series. I filed that. And I, I had a monthly subscription at Toy Fair back then. Because uh, same as you, I have always, even to this day, if I'm at a store, my kids love it because I still go down the toy aisle. You know, yep. <laughs> it's just what I do. I, I buy very little out of it anymore, um, but it's just it's ingrained in me. You go down there, you see what's what's coming out. Yeah. Um, but I was really up on, you know, I was on HeMan.org at the time. I was following the commemoratives. I had the toy fair, so I was following every step of the way uh, when the Horseman line was announced. And uh, speaking of that Toy Fair, that Toy Fair magazine, it actually gripped me in a way that the that the actual figures didn't, because if you go back and look at them, those are the original Four Horsemen prototypes, not even the ones yes. that were shown at San Diego Comic-Con, um, which had actually debuted before the magazine came out. So mm-hmm. we all got a false hope, because one of the things, obviously, was the coloring. Um, especially on He-Man. He he changed to a very brown uh, 
and green, you know, they had those green accents on the sword and everything, color scheme, as opposed to our traditional more uh, gray and red. Uh, So there was some people on, you know, different message boards at the time that that were complaining about that. I was just happy to get He-Man back. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they announced that there was going to be an animated series as well. But it was funny because then that Toy Fair comes out and everyone's like, look, they updated the prototypes. They they went back to the traditional color schemes. Um, and then it turns out, no, that that was actually what the Horseman did first. And then Mattel mm-hmm. did the ones that we saw. And the ones that we saw at San Diego Comic-Con ended up being what was released. Mm-hmm. Which still look great. The Because uh, it's the same sculpts regardless. I If I had my choices, I would obviously prefer the original color schemes. But but either way, they were they were a great looking line, um, limited articulation. But that's because they were trying to keep the action feature for the kids. They were trying to you know mass produce these as much as possible. Just for each of them having a unique sculpt with no shared parts was a huge cost in and of itself. So if yeah. you were going to add in extreme articulation on top of that, something they couldn't do. Yeah, that was something I when I opened them. And we're talking, like I said, I probably went on eBay and started buying them three years after the line ended. Mm -hmm. And I was just ripping them off card and I was putting them up on the shelves. And, uh, like, I opened He-Man first and I was like, oh, sweet. You know, just the fact he had the, the, uh, you know, the punch feature. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like when we were kids. And I'm like, that's great. But then I opened Skeletor and I find out there's a button on his back. And I remember, yeah, yeah, I was pissed because I'm like, why do I need this? <laughs> like when I was a kid, one yeah. of the lines that, that drove me crazy was Thundercats because I didn't like that they had the switch on the back to just make his arm go up and down yeah. to chop with the swords. Like I got this. I have imagination, guys. I don't need the story and, and the toy to dictate to me how they're to be used. So I felt almost insulted opening yeah. those figures and being like, okay, how am I going to get mad this time? Like, beast <laughs> man, here you do this. And he goes, Rrr. it's like, I could do that myself. Yeah. You and know? I didn't like those, like with Skeletor, like that was a big piece sticking out of his back. It yeah. wasn't a little button. It was a large plunger. It's, and and it, it, it hinders any, any ability that you have of posing him any way other than this is how he was presented to me in the box. Cause you're basically cranking the, the spring, you hear the snapping noise and it's like, great. So right. I'm breaking something in order to make it the way I would like it to be. I, that's just my and, quick and, well, little uh, action was, figure tangent there. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll talk about it for a second here. And that was the big problem with them. Um, especially on those first few figures, because for the first wave, even the first two waves, you know, like you, I don't remember. I can never remember exactly offhand the breakdowns because they were all released by the time I knew about them. Mm-hmm. But like the first couple waves, most of them just had the power punch. Mm-hmm. And so as opposed to later waves where everybody had more of their unique action feature. So when oh, you mean in the back, vintage line? Right. The vintage. Yeah. Line. Okay. Um, so for the 2000 X line, instead of approaching the same, like, they wanted to play up the action feature because that was one of the things that made Masters, the toy line, unique. But instead of just giving everybody the power punch, they sat down there and said, well, we need to get everybody a unique action mm-hmm. feature. Which really isn't that unique because I think most all the villains had the same kind of, like, Beastman had both arms. Beastman's the one mm-hmm. that killed me. 
because both yeah. his arms. Yep. And it was a cool action, like the spring, and like he could actually lift like man arms up and throw him, you know, mm-hmm. with both arms. But there was nothing there for posing. It was either I pose him here or I click him, and he's posed up like this. Yep. Yeah. You know, maybe you could do one or the other, but I mean, that's that's not much. Well, and and then on top of that, to think I, I I've heard uh, the horseman actually had more articulation in mind yeah. for that that line, and it makes me want to go to Mattel and go, "What the heck were you thinking?" Like I would have rather gotten you know bendable elbows, bendable knees over. Here's a switch. Let's flick it so that Beast Band can right. go. Mm, you know, and like that was, and that was about it. It was, it was elbows and knees were what were cut. But but yeah, they should have just that first few waves. They should have just done the power punch because that that yeah. was the action feature. I agree. But I digress. So, but toy line it, it looked awesome. It it flew off shelves uh, in my area at least. Uh, I mean, and we're not going to get into it. You guys want to know who killed the 2000X toy line? Go do a search. It's all out there. Oversaturation. Like Sean said, all he saw were He-Man and Skeletor because of poor case ratio. Mm -hmm. You guys know this story. If you don't, you can find it easily. Mm -hmm. But obviously the thing I was keyed up about was the new animated series, which Mm -hmm. the first announcement was actually just an animated special because that's all they... Mattel did not initially order all 26 episodes. They initially ordered this special, which would eventually become the beginning. Um, and for a while there, that's all we thought we were getting is just, okay, this is it. They're just doing this animated movie, and that's it. So we were all keyed up for that. They released a trailer, which you can probably still find out there. I know I found it a couple years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first Cartoon yep. Network trailer where it was very little dialogue, but a lot of the action uh, a lot of a lot of the uh, animation, and we got our first look at a lot of characters in animated form. And I just remember uh, it was posted up on HeMan.org one day, and I just remember watching that just over and over and <laughs> over again because this is what I'd wanted from the moment they announced a new toy line. I wanted a new cartoon because mm-hmm. that's where my sensibilities have always laid. That's what that's what gets me there is a good story, you know. Mm-hmm. So I watched I watched that trailer a ton of times before it came out. There's all this speculating about how everything's going to work and you know who's going to be what because that's the other thing. It was rebooting. It wasn't. They stated right out from the beginning. This is not a continuation. We're going back to the beginning. We're doing our story. You know, yeah. in the same universe. So that means anything's up for grabs. So there was a lot of speculating about you know. You know, will will Manny Faces be in it even? Will will Cyclone be in it? Will you know, are they gonna honor the past relationships? Are they, you know and which relationships, which status quo is it gonna be? Are mm-hmm. we doing Sorceress of Grayskull? There was even some people hoping for the goddess. There was mm-hmm. speculation that the twin power swords were coming back. Um so and, and that's the thing, with Masters there's so much to choose from and so much contradictory stuff whenever it, and we're doing the same thing now, not to go into a rabbit hole, but we're doing the same thing right now with Revelation and with the Netflix. I, I mean, they're both on Netflix, but just for clarity's sake, I'm going to refer to one as Revelation and one as Netflix E-Man. Because um, <laughs> there's no good way to distinct these two series that are coming out. Mm-hmm. We're sitting there going the same thing. Like, what are they going to do? 
what are they going to choose from? I mean, that's always exciting before something's coming out to, to see. And, you know, we speculated, I speculated, we were right on some things, we were wrong on other things. And, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I just remember, and I remember the day it premiered, it was on Cartoon Network had uh, their special movie time once a week, and it was Cartoon Network's Cartoon Theater, and it premiered on there. It premiered right as I needed to leave for work. Of so course. <laughs> I didn't get to see it live, but I had the VHS, you know, the VCR set up. I had the timer set, mm-hmm. and I watched, like, the first, not even five minutes, but the first uh, battle, basically. You know, mm-hmm. that because it was it was a movie. It wasn't the three episodes. It was edited slightly that we found out once the three episodes aired, and there was no intro. It just it panned in on Eternia and it had the the He Man logo. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching that first five minutes, basically up to the point where Skeletor gets sprayed with gets the acid reflected back at him. I'm like, shit, I gotta go to work. But I was <laughs> from that moment, I was hooked. And sure. I'm trying to remember exactly. I, I don't think we saw anybody new at that point, but but it was also exciting because there were like two waves that they'd shown the prototypes for, but they included more characters in the in the whole beginning episodes, which was also exciting because for a while there we were all afraid. Like, okay, it's only going to be the characters that have been released in toy form up till now because um another tangent here i'm not trying to go too deep down i remember when uh mv creations first got the comic license for the 2000x series they were told that they could only use characters that had been released as toys in the first draft of the contract that they sent to val staples Mm. and so there was like that speculation and i don't I might be getting the timelines mixed up slightly as to when all this was happening. Val or Envy Creation might have been a little after. But basically, all around that time, it's kind of the same same issues. Like we're worried about: are they going to be able to use this person? You know, and that's really mm-hmm. when all the when all the filmation rights like really came to light about who really owns all that classic characters and library and everything. Which again. You don't if you somehow you're a He-Man fan and you haven't heard about the filmation, uh, Hallmark, uh, Mattel, NBC Universal, DreamWorks rights saga. Um, please, like, get a hold of me because I'd really like to know how you went this long <laughs> without hearing about any of this. But if you don't know about that, go check it out. But uh, but yeah, so there was a lot of speculation. Can they use Evil Seed? Can they use Count Marzo? Um, but basically, in a long-winded way, what I'm trying to get to is this was a really exciting time for Masters, the Masters fan base that had had come online. It, it even got some people who hadn't come online yet who remembered it, and they celebrated it locally, you know, still picking up figures, videos, books where they could. But they didn't realize, like, hey, there's still all these guys that are that are rooting for this property and hoping something gets made. So I think mm-hmm. that was probably the biggest resurgence for most people. And I, I just remember those days on the different forums, message boards, even running into the guys locally. Like, you know, if you see if you see another, well, at that time it was like 18 to probably 25-year-old guy like heading down the toy aisle. It's like, hey, are you masters? <laughs> like, yeah. You know. Yep. 
And then you try and race past him so that you can get there first. But yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just and I rewatched it uh, last night uh, for the first time, probably about a year. I've really sat down and just gone through it. Um, a lot of it held up. Some of it I liked better then. Some of it I like better now. But mm-hmm. yeah, the whole era, I think, like you said, it's, for some reason it also fell off the grid quickly. Uh, and I think most of that has to do with the fact that you don't see it anywhere. It's not, it's never been on Netflix. It's never yeah. been on Tubi. It's never been on YouTube in an official capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's kind of that series that, that got left behind somehow. Yeah. And it's, it's not fair in, in my opinion. I mean, uh, I know how many fans there are out there. I don't have numbers, but I know there's fans who's just filmation all the way and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, to me, it's like, this was another Avenue that was taken to make the brand revitalized. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'll be honest. I'm one of those people where if something comes in to refresh an idea I had of something, Nine out of 10 times, depending what that is, I will embrace it because it might have something new that I didn't even think of. And this show, this show went out of its way as you go into it to actually give you refreshers, give you explanations to, to why somebody is the way they are, but then also add to the mythology behind the overall idea of what Eternia is and, and the different races in Eternia, the different kinds of uh, ancient artifacts and attorney and stuff like that and how they played key roles in the story. And, you know, for me, I, I, I loved the mini comics as a kid. I loved filmation as a kid. I mean, the, like I said, the, the transformation sequence, the theme song of that is just, it's a part of me and just by default, just boom, mm-hmm. you know, those things are key. But then the the characterizations for me come from 2000X and the, the world building come from 2000X because they adhered to an overall overall through line of a story that made it feel like every time I'm watching an episode of that, you're getting into a world it, it, more than just an episodic cartoon in a sense, I guess. And um, for that, I appreciate the heck out of it because, you know, like at that time they were also up against movies like Lord of the Rings starting out. Lord of the Rings was only like the year before that with the fellowship of the ring starting and then boom, 2002 hit, you know, and I appreciated that because I wasn't a big Lord of the Rings guy, but I went to the movie theater and I was blown away by how immersed I got into that world. And then here's He-Man going, Hey, remember yeah. me? I got something going on over here. And then I'm like, well, okay, you know, this is great. You know, and it's funny, too, because I think that kind of primed the pump, too, because, it, you know, we we reached a moment there where Lord of the Rings started coming out. Even the Spider-Man started coming out the first, yeah. the first movie. Mm-hmm. And we kind of got into this, not quite like it is nowadays, where all this stuff is readily accepted, which I never thought we'd see the day of. I never thought <laughs> we'd see the day where... The Marvel movies and even the DC to some extent, like they're just they're they're water cooler talk. I got I got guys that are at work that are old enough to be my dad that are sitting there talking. Oh, did you see that new Captain America? I really like this. And that. <laughs> I mean, and you never, I never thought it would get this far. But mm-hmm. that era that we hit in the early two thousands was nice too, where 
for the first time, I felt like I could talk about it freely. It, it started mm-hmm. becoming accepted where it's like, you know, everyone's talking about Lord of the Rings. And then they're like, and then I'm talking about He-Man and they're like, oh, that's lame. I'm like, well, why? We got, we got yeah. elves. We got, we got battles. We got swords. We got, we got all this. That, oh, really? You know, like I didn't re- And then you take it mm-hmm. and you add in the technology. Not only do I have the swords and the spears and the magic, but we're riding, you know, technological tanks into battle and firing laser beams and all that too. So mm-hmm. it yeah, it kinda it kinda all coalesced nicely there. And for that moment, like all those guys I said like I was the He Man guy, all my close friend group at the time, they started watching it. They watched mm-hmm. Mike Young with me because that's what I well, we all hung out most days anyways. And that's what I was doing on Fridays, Saturdays, wherever they moved it to that week. I'm like, well, I'm watching this. And they caught the beginning, and they're like, you know what? That was pretty good. And then they, mm-hmm. they followed along. Um, they might have, they even enjoyed some parts of it more than me because they weren't as invested, whereas I'm going, that's not filmation. They're going, like, <laughs> well, that's pretty cool, you know? And, yeah. And for the yeah. most part, I, I accepted. I was able to leave aside most of my biases for the series, especially back then, because I was just so excited to get something mm-hmm. new. I was I was also accepting. I probably have more gripes nowadays as I look back and go, but they could have done this better. Yeah. Um, but for what it, but for the time period, and, and right around that time, you had another Transformers premiering. You had that that uh, was it four kids I think that did the turtles. Yeah, they, the turtles came out like another year later, if I remember right. And yeah, that, was like, that was like it was like, hey, everything from my childhood is now it's back in my face yep. again. You know, like there it, it never ended. It, you know, but I know, right? I know it was why I was still going because I remember it's like one end of the toy aisle. I had the two thousand X, and then the other end was the new uh, Mikey, Raph, and Don and Leo. Mm-hmm. You know? So and and honestly, at the time. Um, the, my friends, they liked, I mean, obviously we all grew up on Turtles and all that. Out of all the cartoons, even they would admit they're like, He-Man's the best. You know, and that's that's not me being facetious, that's not me being cocky. They literally told me at the time, because the Transformers was the one with all the mini-cons, and it had like a very... Uh, Pokemon feel like there was a bunch uh, of them. Yeah. They had like three kids that were in every episode, and they were trying to collect all the mini cons. And I'm, I can't. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the sub. Was it? I can't remember the sub line. It was Transformers something. <laughs> collect them all. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, that's gonna bug me now. You know how I am when I can't think of something. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we'll just say it wasn't up to the standard that we grew up with. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was, they were good shows and we watched all of them. We watched, well, I, I didn't really watch the turtles that much because I just, I, I didn't care. And even to this day, I think it's one of the weaker series. It got better as it went along, Mm -hmm. but it was weak to me. And, but my point is even these guys who weren't the He-Man guy were sitting there going, well, that's out of all these revived properties, they got it the best. They got it. They got it where they were able to appease the majority of us classic fans. They were able to bring in new fans. And I know I said yeah. this to you privately. I'd really like to to hear if you were a kid at this time and you got into this is your He-Man. I'd really like to hear from you because 
I, I just have a feeling there's got to be a group of collectors out there who were brought in by this. It's probably not very big because as far as longevity, it was a blip on the radar. The Transformers and the Turtles at that time lasted longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that kind of goes to show, once again, we're not going to get too in-depth into that discussion, but it just goes to show that there were other forces at work here that kind of dictated the fate of this line, unfortunately. Yeah. And it is really surprising still, not to harp on it, that, you know, Mattel, that's the other thing. Mattel owns the 2000X series Hook, Line, and Sinker. They did not give up the entertainment rights like they did with with the filmation and the classic stuff. Mm -hmm. So it still boggles the mind why they're not pushing this. Why wouldn't you throw this out on Netflix? Why wouldn't you throw this out on YouTube? Why wouldn't you be uh, pumping out a DVD set every two years just... Just throwing it out. I mean, at this point, you could throw it in that $5 bin, you know, complete series or two volumes and and basically just make money off it at this point because you've long since paid, paid for it all. I, I've i grown to the assumption, not being on the inside at Mattel, but I grew to the assumption that Mattel is the sort of a company where they look at their past, their past wins, their mm-hmm. past achievements – and if something doesn't live up to that the way that in their business model it should, they don't want to even deal with it anymore. And they sweep it under exactly. the rug. And 2000X, I, I mean, there, there's a, there's, I'm sure there's a multiple excuse or reasons or whatever why it didn't work. But they just look at it as it just didn't work. Right. And they don't want to revisit it. And that's why, like, even in the classics line, there's certain little nods to that. But they're not going to go and focus on that in like a whole subline of stuff the way the filmation is because they don't look at it as, well, that wasn't viable then. Why are we going to go back to something that we didn't we didn't break in a billion dollars that year because kids were, you know, enthused that this line was back out and everything. And you've hit the nail on the head. And I I think classics is what finally stuck the final nail in the coffin. Um, because they started off the classics line with King Grayskull, which is a very 2000X concept. Yeah. Um, divisive, too. <laughs> yeah. And, very divisive well, character. And I know we'll get into that in the future. We will. We will. I'm just I'm just starting the <laughs> ball rolling on that concept. That's all. Um, but so they started off, and actually, tangents here. Um, God, we may go this whole episode without actually getting into the beginning at all. <laughs> That's why we have the beginning, though. We need to get to the beginning in order to right, the right. I, th- I, th- I think this will help everyone kind of get our characters and our and our thoughts on everything. Yep. But so for classics, you know, quick tangent, they started off with King Grayskull, which actually originally that was going to be released in the 2000X style. And it was going to yep. be an actual figure. Uh, 2000X style. Um Unbeknownst to Mattel, at the same time, the Four Horsemen had, on their own, created this He-Man uh, prototype that harkened back to the vintage, mm-hmm. and but with the with very modern articulation. And honestly, thinking back in my mind, it's probably closer to what the origins look like now, their their original prototype, but. So Mattel was already planning on doing this King Grayskull last figure in 2000X line. 
they show up with this prototype of basically the vintage looking He-Man with modern articulation. And they went, well, wait a minute. Why, instead of doing a final figure, what if we do a first figure? And they kind of merged it to, upgraded the mm-hmm. body, got the more... Because the, the original prototype was a, was much more vintage, much more squatty. And then the classics line was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll probably have to do... I know we said that our format's going to be the, the, the books and the stories, but we'll probably have to do an action figure episode, maybe at least one, where we kind of just dive deep into this because it is an, toys are an integral part of Masters. Yeah. Um, but the point I'm trying to get across here to loop the nail in the coffin is, so it started off with 2000X figure, they went along, there wasn't very many nods after that to 2000X uh, until they got to Whiplash where they ended up including, it was in the the first full year, I'm pretty sure it was the first full year of classics, because the first year was like kind of just like three or four figures released at the end of the year. And they got to that whiplash, and that was the first time they included a straight 2000X head. He had the, cla- the vintage head, and he had the 2000X head. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because everybody loved it. Like, yeah. everybody loved it. The problem was, is that was kind of snuck in under the radar. So they done characters. I'm pretty sure they either did count Marzo already or they teased at it. So maybe this was second year. My timeline's all messed up. The, to- the toys I can't retain as much. I- I'm better with the stories. But but regardless, basically what happened was everyone was like, well, why haven't we gotten a 2000X head with every figure? Mm-hmm. And they were starting petitions, they were clamoring, and all the buzz... It was all positive. But Mattel, mm-hmm. they're sitting there going, somehow the upper... And I'm going on stories here, but this is the stories I was told at the time. Somehow upper management heard about all this. And they're like, why are people asking for 2000 he- 2000X heads? And they're like, well, we included in the Swiplash. And they go, well, why'd you do that? <laughs> and after that, it came down... No 2000X influences. No, yeah. or not no influences, but no straight. Like, you could take a character like Count Marzo or Evil Seed and you could introduce them as classic figures, sporting their, their looks from 2000X, but you couldn't do a straight variant. And so it was, it was really kind of frustrating at the time because that's what a lot of people wanted. And, uh, for Matt, same thing for Mattel to sit there and go, because a lot of people bought two whiplashes because they wanted to display them both ways even. So mm-hmm. for Mattel to take that and all they focus on is, well, 2000X was a failure. We don't want to promote that. And that's exactly what it came down to, according to the, the reports and interviews and everything else, is they, they viewed it a failure and they wanted nothing to do with it anymore. And luckily down the line, they, they relented up a little bit. And that's when we finally got the Heads of Eternia accessory pack, which was supposed yeah. to be like that Grizzlore and the Cyclone. They were supposed to be released with the figures. That's how the Horsemen had planned it. But mm-hmm. but I digress. But yes, I think I think that's exactly right. Is they viewed it as a failure? So why do we want to promote it anymore? Yeah, it's that short sightedness that has made looping back to an earlier point I made probably about an hour ago. It's that <laughs> short sightedness that has caused He Man to disappear for these large gaps of time. Yeah. And that's what's caused 
the smaller fan base. I don't think it's any, you know, people say, that well, the story's not as good, the, you know, whatever, the figures aren't as good. No, you're wrong. For the time periods, the figures were good, the stories were good. You go back to those time periods, you know, and, and they did everything they could. I had non-He-Man guys watching He-Man, loving it, talking about it. It was good. Mm-hmm. I, I have spoken. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was. I mean, the Something else you and I talked about uh, just recently, and and uh, to to get into the actual meat of the beginning, uh, Dean Stefan, who was the story editor, and he also wrote episodes of it, and he he played a part in uh, reimagining this. And uh, he he's in interviews has admitted he wasn't into He Man, right. so the idea that each time they've had an animated series, they brought in somebody who they weren't attached to it, but they had a unique point of view in how to make this work. So like Lou Scheimer had his own ideas like, Oh, well there's these barbarian guys coming out from the jungle and they're just punching each other. And we got to come up with a better story than that. And, you know, in, in with Dean Stefan, it was, I didn't grow up on this stuff, but there are basic elements in storytelling of the hero's journey that we can project into these characters. So we're bringing to life uh, the action figures and giving you some meat on the bones to the story of why Adam gets the sword, why, you know, why Keldor becomes Skeletor, how Skeletor happens and all that stuff. So, you know, even though people might have their own opinions about 2000 X for me, it was refreshing to actually go, hey, we have a beginning episode, the beginning, and we start the ball rolling with this, and we're introduced to Eternia in a new way. We're introduced to it from the eyes of somebody else. It does look different. It's not going to be filmation. It's going to be their own version, but there, there always felt like there was a weight to the stories they were attempting to tell, for the most part. There are certain episodes that I won't get into right now that they did feel a little lighter weight at times. They felt more, okay, here's a placeholder episode until we get to the next arc they wanted to tell sometimes. But those are few and far between for me compared to the meat and potatoes and the good stuff they wanted to project in this. And uh, Dean Stefan unfortunately passed away, I believe it was uh, 2019 or 18. I think it was 18, actually. I it was even before that, honestly. Maybe it was. It's been He's, it's been a couple few years. So. He's he he's he's passed away, unfortunately, and uh, you know it, it is sad to think that it, even Larry Detilio, who plays a mm-hmm. role in this series, passed away. So a lot of these people that were cultivating these heroes and these stories and these cartoons that we grew up with and got reenvisioned later, they're not here with us anymore. But you know their work stands the test of time in that way to me. So. Absolutely, and it's great that we live in an era where recording an interview is so easy because there are still a lot of interviews with Dean and Larry, mm-hmm. and um, we're just lucky that we've had a lot of passionate fans over the years who have gone out and sought out these guys and talked to them and acquired things and put it out there for us. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're a fan of 2000X and you've never checked out the He-Man.org Dean Stefan interviews, Um, check them out there's some great stuff there i don't agree with everything and he kind of goes into some stuff that never made it into the show but uh Mm -hmm. it's it's neat getting a look behind the scenes 
And it's also fun to see his personality because when you get into some of that stuff, his personality was hysterical. I mean, he loved taking jabs at people and making them, you know, <laughs> not knock them off balance a little bit while he's being interviewed. And Absolutely. I really thought he would have been a fun one to sit down and talk shop with at some point. So Absolutely. And it and it's you can tell his passion. And it's the same thing with Lou when he was tasked with making the Filmation episode. These guys were obviously older. They weren't fans of the property or into the property, but they took their time, they did their research, and at the same time they pushed it into a new direction, which Mm -hmm. I think is sometimes easier for a non-fan to do than a Mm -hmm. fan to do. Uh, If you and I were running a show or comic book, whatever, I think we'd be a lot more beholden to what came before or at least certain elements. Oh, yeah. And that's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing either. I'm just saying, as far as going to a new era, a new adventure, sometimes that guy who just has a basic understanding or just does his research is the better guy to do it. Because um, mm-hmm. he won't feel he won't feel bad if he leaves out this part just because it's a great memory from your childhood, you know. Yeah, and and I feel like Dean Stefan he. I think first and foremost with a lot of what you're going to see in 2000 X on their show is story will come first. Right. And there are certain episodes where they do shoehorn. We have this variant that we just marketed out on the shelves perhaps, but, and, and you know, it it is what it is. I mean, the, the cartoons are marketed as a way to get the kids out there to buy the toys. I get that. But you know, for me, it's like, the avenue with this is always going to be, let's tell a story that makes the kids inspired to want to pick up those toys and create their own things. That's what, that's why masters mattered to me when I was a kid, I could watch the filmation show and then I'd be back in my room for two hours before dinner playing because something on the show made me go, I want to try that, but I'm going to do my version. And I go back there and start directing my figures, coming up with stories. And so, you know, that's why like for me, this one is interesting because we get our first glimpses into the history that leads into Adam getting the sword and why he gets the sword and all of that kind of stuff. And honestly, I'm going to say it doesn't match up with how I always pictured it in my head, but to start the ball rolling on a series and give you a ground floor entrance into this is our He-Man, it actually works pretty well it's pretty it's a pretty nice episode in that way yeah i'm the same way it's it's if i was writing it it probably wouldn't happen very remotely like this but i enjoy watching it it's mm-hmm. it's a serviceable origin um i do still wish it was a little longer not necessarily in runtime but more uh we'll just get out of the way right now less twirling and more story <laughs> Would have been nice. The the twirling sound effect. I, I, I'm not going to apologize for that to anybody when they introduce themselves to this. The twirling sound effect is going to haunt your dreams yes. because the the fight scene in particular between Mechanic and Triclops <laughs> is one where you're like, it's five minutes and I just keep hearing. <laughs> you know? And I will say, so basically, let's uh, trying to hone in specifically in the beginning here. The twirling is the worst in this 
three-parter. If you can yep. get past here, it degrades after this. And I will tell you why it is so horrible. Um, well, number one, anime, you know, was just starting to get really big here in America. Uh, so it's got that kind of anime influence. The background would change and, you know, like that, that wherever you have that just, motion blur background motion or the blur, thank you. motion, motion line background with the blur. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, so obviously they were trying same thing as new adventures tried to take it into space and make it more like where, kind of the general cultural zeitgeist was going at the time, um, anime was becoming very big. The imports, the Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, all that, uh, Pokemon even. So they were trying to kind of get that feel. It lessened as the series went on, as the artists found their own footing and kind of made it their own. Mm-hmm. Um, season 2 in particular I think is animated much better than in season 1 even though I feel season 1 has the stronger storylines agreed with that yes um but it's just one of those things and even going back to filmation uh the Shira series is animated so much better so much tighter and neater than the He-Man series was especially in the first season of He-Man mm-hmm. it just it just how these shows go it's you know and here, yeah. here I am talking about art. I got the artist over here. Um, <laughs> but it's it's just how these shows go. They kind these artists have to find their that the feel of these characters, the feel of the show. So yes, it's very weapon twirly. Um, mm-hmm. That's the anime influence for the fight scenes. Uh, the the one thing that I heard real quick is uh, on a on another podcast they interviewed or they they. They sent a question out to one of the writers who worked at Take it, Okay, Sean. okay. Well, Christy, I think it was Christy Marks. She yep. she helped write the uh, Buzz Off's Pride episode of 2000X, which is a se- season one episode. Mm-hmm. And apparently, it was handed down from Mattel to make it have an anime influence, but they didn't say what exactly that meant to them, and they didn't mean it to be anime as the style of the look of the the series. It was more anime in the storytelling aspect of it. The idea that they wanted it not to be an episodic uh, show as much, and they wanted it to have like an overall cohesive storyline. So, you know, it's like that's funny to me that here's this company creating this show. They get handed down a couple of directives to make this show. They make it the way that they think it's supposed to be according to the people that are running the show in that sense. And it turns out, no, you didn't even do it the way that we were thinking of it. We right. we were okay if you make it look more Americanized, maybe, with the look of it. Mm-hmm. It was the storytelling aspect. But I'll say, in all honesty, though, like, I, I, didn't, I never equated He-Man to be an anime series. Mm-hmm. But I, I actually enjoyed the fact that 2000X, them going that direction, made the action turn into something pretty impressive-looking considering filmation the action was more rotoscoping and it was usually here's he-man picking up something and throwing it or here's he-man punching the screen and this and that you know but it's like here you get like the masters are like yeah yeah you get boom you know (laughs) it's like that's it you know you have those and i'm not trying to dig on filmation but you had key moments you knew were going to be in most fight scenes whereas 2000x they had certain stock things they do. Like maybe they'd have a glance. Like I know 
they use the Tila having the glance over her shoulder and, you know, and all that. And they'd have like He-Man kind of looking over his shoulder sometimes. But for the most part, when you watch these fight scenes, they're new every episode. There wasn't a lot of reuse. So you're seeing some choreography that they weren't able to do in filmation that makes it more exciting and kinetic as a, as an actual sequence. And it makes you go like, this is why this needed to happen for this series, in my opinion. Oh, exactly. And, but that also drove the cost per episode up. And that's why we only get 26 episodes in a season as opposed to the 65 that filmation was doing. Yep. Um, Uh, Yeah. Which is exactly a trade off. And I'll get, we'll get more into that when we do our first filmation episode. But, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, anyone who calls filmation cheap and lazy, tune in to, uh, well, just a later episode. And uh, (laughs) we'll talk about that in depth. But the other thing, too, is with the beginning, uh, like I said, when it was originally announced, it was an animated special. Um, so it was actually the, these first three episodes were actually written by Dean uh, Stefan. Yep. And, and I apologize because I think I keep saying that wrong. I keep wanting to say Stefan, which is how I pronounced it back in the day when I first started reading his name. And it's actually Stefan, if I remember correctly. Hope I'm mm-hmm. getting that right. No disrespect, Ben, if I'm not. If anyone knows about last names being pronounced incorrectly, it's me. And me. <laughs> <laughs> we're the we're the unpronounceable last name guys on that's, some some uh, things. <laughs> that's funny because I've never had a problem with yours because it's it to me it's exactly how it's spelled. That's that's what people tell me when they can get it right off the first try. But I've had so, Skazarna, Kavarna. Yeah. It's easy, and it's like it's like the Shakoti episode. I knew you were when I was growing up, I was like Shabuti, you know. It's like yeah, that was pretty much me, right? <laughs> and that, well, that's exactly mine too. Like if you actually pronounce the letters that are there and don't pronounce any extra letters, that's my name. But everyone wants mm-hmm. to throw extra letters in there. But anyways, so he wrote this first animated special, and he wrote it obviously when you're writing. Uh, by that point, they either had announced that it was going to be a series as well, or he wrote it hoping it would be one or the other. But basically, he wrote it so that it could be split up into two parts. So once it went to syndication, you could still show the origin movie, you know, and just have it part one and then part two. So that was the script he wrote. And mm-hmm. he handed it to Mattel. And as you notice, I said he handed in part one and part two. So Mattel comes back and goes, well, we talked to Cartoon Network and they're going to run this on Cartoon Theater. So where's the rest of the script? And he goes, <laughs> he goes, well, what do you, what do you mean? And there you go. Well, it's, it's, it's Cartoon Theater. That's, that's an hour and a half. That's movie length. So then he goes, well... I guess I got to pad it. So mm-hmm. he added a, well, part three and split it in, instead of adding before or after, because he liked his beginning's end, right in the middle, he stuck a big fight scene. Yep. Or he, I'm sorry, the fight scene was there, but it was much quicker. It was, mu- it was like I said, less twirling, more action moving the story along. And rewatching it last night, Honestly, when I saw it, when it originally aired, I never, it, I, I was so excited, I was so pumped, like, it never slowed down for me the whole way through. Watching it last night, I zoned out during that, that fight. 
because there's nothing going on. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it, and it's posturing. It's the weakest part of it because it's not even moving the story along. You know, no, I, I don't. And that's just me. Some, some people like just fight scenes. I like fight scenes with a purpose. Like somebody's gaining the upper hand. Somebody's, you know, they're getting closer to the edge of the cliff even, you know, but that fight scene in there does nothing story wise. Really? It's the, you know, the beginning is the masters confronting, you know, the evil warriors in the forest, which is great. And the ending when evil Lynn, and you can kind of see where it was added because then, and then the ending when like he man shows up, spoiler alert, he man shows up (laughs) in the episode. Uh, uh, He also saves the day. Spoiler alert. And uh, man, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, he made his Prince Adam. Um, ah! <laughs> so get Why do you do this to me? <laughs> but uh, uh, so you can kind of see where it was padded because then, then once He Man shows up and the evil warriors get like pinned down, and Evil Lynn calls the meteor shower down, like that's moving the story along. Yes. He man shows up. He saves them when they're about to get crushed, you know, pins them down. Then he has to go help King Randor and they're left Mm -hmm. to finish the battle, you know, and that's when it starts picking up again because it's actually stuff happening instead of just fighting for the sake of fighting. Yeah, I'd say in the fight scene, the only good part about that probably is just the fact if you're new to it. Or if you wanted to see the remake, the the re-envisioning that 2000X is, you're at least getting to see characters that didn't get a lot of screen time in the filmation show having that screen time. So like Mechanek is finally going up and doing some battle sequences and everything, and he's more of a I, I wouldn't call him a spotlight character, but he's there in the mix compared to filmation, just kind of stuck to. Uh, He-Man, Orko, Tila, Man-at-Arms as their safety mm-hmm. guys, and then they throw in a, a, you know, like a Cyclone, Roboto along the way, and they'd be a one-off episode most of the time, whereas this, you're seeing, here is a group of the heroic warriors going to battle against the evil warriors, and I, I like that to the extent of, hey, it's fun to see these characters that didn't really get a lot of the love previously but yeah like Mm -hmm. you can sense the padding you can sense that the twirling is there not to piss you off the twirling is there to just have something to do and at first i thought maybe maybe these and and this is me digging but like maybe this is the custom on eternia maybe this is how (laughs) they have these battles the other part of me is like this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, yeah. cause it, it almost reminds me of like, uh, if you look at any movie where there's medieval dancing and the way that they have this structure to the dance, yeah. it almost has that feel to it when you're watching this. But then it's like, you know, they go through all the twirling. For instance, the triclops, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. They, they're doing all the twirling and then he throws his club up in the air and he just butts him with his head. Cause yeah. he's got the neck attachment. It's like, did that take so long? Like how did that need to take five minutes of, of screen time? And uh, I'm yeah. the, the thing for me that is even worse in my opinion, uh, the first battle doesn't really annoy me as much as that damn flying fish. That thing with Tila and man at arms. I hate that part because 
it, there's something like okay number one the idea of that and and here i'm bringing back everything else we've been talking about most of this week it reminds me of unicron and transformers the movie and it rem- i remember even as a kid going i don't want to see the digestive tract of a robot you know like that was weird enough the whole okay these these clips were going to drop the robots into the vats of acid so they can be digested and and it's like here we are inside of this big fish <laughs> and he's in the digestive juices and he's trying to figure away and 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 it annoyed me too because the merman voice in this series i really wasn't thrilled with yeah. So it just drove me nuts to him. Oh, you need water after your meal. And all, I'm like, yeah, oh, I just didn't like hearing him talk either. And the whole sequence had all these things that just made me cringe through the whole thing. It's the, so. it's the Waspinator voice from uh, Beast Wars, if you ever watch that. Yeah, I never watched Beast Wars. Yeah, but it, it just it, – it, his voice out of – I'd say the only two voices that didn't work for me on the series were Clawful and him. Yeah. And and those were the two where if they just spoke any lines, I was like, just don't talk. Don't talk. Just be there. I'm happy that you're at least visual, you know, and I oh, can absolutely. see you in the mix. <laughs> but that that thing drove me nuts because at least the fighting in the forest, there was like, OK, Manny Faces is there. Yeah. Teal is there. You had you had a mix. And instead, here's Man at Arms is trying to not get eaten by a fish. And I feel like out of all the guys who would be in that situation, man at arms should have been a little smarter than that. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It so. reminded me more of the, uh, the legend of Zelda, uh, Ocarina of time. So where you go into the fish and the, when he's, uh, still in the young stage of the game. So, uh, okay. It worked for me. I don't mind the fish. I think he was a cool visual design. Um, I like him better here than in another episode we'll get to with him in it. Well, that's because that was only two episodes later. <laughs> that's I'm going to be like angry at that episode. When we right. Get to it. But yeah, I will uh, agree. It was nice to see ev- all the masters and it really was this series is more of a team. It's more it's more of a team effort. It's more of a military unit. Than, They're the Avengers. Than the original, <laughs> where it's, yeah, it's just the original's more uh, He-Man saving the day, and everyone, he needs some some help. Yeah, um, and you see it even even in this this battle scene. Once you get back to the action, stuff starts happening. Again. Once He-Man shows up and saves them, um, he's got to go help Randor. So, mm-hmm. and he doesn't come in. That's the other thing I liked is he comes in. And I know, guys, bear with us. We're working on this format. We jumped into kind of the middle of the whole movie. <laughs> but We're not twirling, at least. But it works. <laughs> but He-Man saves him, but he doesn't He doesn't defeat the evil warriors. You know, in Filmation, he would have come in. He would have thrown them all over to the dark side or whatever. He would have beaten yeah. them and then moved on and saved Randor. All he does is buy the Master some time. He yeah. saves him from the meteor shower, and then he's like, okay, guys, like, Skeletor's gonna kill the king. He's not yeah. gonna wait for me to help you guys, so I gotta go do that. Um, yeah. You guys handle them, all right? Well, and and on that part, on that note too, just because you went there, I'll just say this really quick. You also in that speech have one of the lines <laughs> that make fans pissed because uh, up until this show, it was never defined what it meant to be wait. masters of the universe. Wait. Oh. Wait. 
Okay. All right. Well, it, from what I remember, there wasn't any de- definition. Let's put it that there way. There were, there was some references, uh, the, in, I want to say the mini comic, um, Clash of Arms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I forgot about that. You're right. There's some references, and, and there's, uh, at least one of the golden books did refer to the good guys as the masters. So, and and filmation has that not used intro where and so that doesn't count. It doesn't. But count. it was referenced at least in the intro, the the old intro where He Man called them the evil masters of the universe when he referred to Skeletor's group. Yes, for, but for filmation, but for filmation, it was going to be the evil warriors. They yeah. were going to be the masters of the universe. Which made no sense to me, even more than the no sense of this in two thousand X. For to be honest. But, but yes, yeah, I will you, say it was not it was not the mainstream. But go ahead. It, you have you have uh, He Man in one of the series many speechifying moments, and that's another to me that's a downside of the show. Uh, I, there are speechifying moments that to me undercut. You could do a visual with it, maybe or whatever. Um. Where he says, you know, you're great warriors, masters of the universe, all. Yeah. And that would be the moment of a whole lot of Masters fans jaws dropping on the floor and calling BS on this mm-hmm. because they did not like that now the the actual heroic warrior team would be referred to as the Masters of the Universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So take that as you will, fans. <laughs> and the thing is, it's a very – like I, I don't mind Masters of the Universe being defined. I don't even mind it being the good guys being – uh, the Masters of the Universe. Uh, I do like it how basically for the rest of the series they basically just call them the Masters. The Masters. Yeah. I like that better than calling them you mas- You are the Masters of the Universe. Um, but that is a very forced line. It it is not. Yep. A, it's not good writing. I'm sorry. Dean did a lot of great things in this opening, but that line. I I just have to believe that that. And I'm sure I might. I'm, there's a good chance I'm wrong. This is not fact. This is my opinion. If you read his original draft, I can almost guarantee you that line was either not in there at all or not phrased like that. Well, uh, that just screams to me something where Mattel came in and was like, "Well, we have to define masters of the universe. We have mm-hmm. to define because Mattel during this time was very much." That's why we got an origin story, first off. They were very much about defining everything. They felt mm-hmm. that, and they, it carried on into the classics and bios, unfortunately. Mattel, modern era, has been very much, we have to define this. Whereas our era was very much like, let's just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall, see what sticks, mm-hmm. and give the kids lots of lots of creative room to figure out themselves. Yeah, this and that's was pretty a, much about explaining. So I have to believe that Mattel told them, like, "Hey, you have to get this in here. We have to make the good guys the masters of the universe." Yeah, and it's it's a it's a product of the time it came out because mm-hmm. everything in the movies was now going to we have to start an origin story for a superhero right. in order for this, the the people the the regular audience people to jump into this be on the ground floor with everybody else mm-hmm. and then we could tell other stories from there so right. you know like in the case of this 
for me, it was fun to see, hey, here's an origin finally, because Filmation never gave us a true, here's how Adam get, gets the sword. It was just, here's the intro every episode. Right. He just shows up. I am Adam, Prince of Eternia. You know, fabulous superpowers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword said by the power of Grayskull. Mm-hmm. It's like that works in a syndicated approach. But in this way, where especially if you're having a movie, you might as well just go for it. Right. And, um, to me, it was fun to, to at least go, okay, we have some references to the before mm-hmm. we have the, the heroic warriors or, or, or captain Randor in this case, mm-hmm. and the other, uh, like man at arms and, and, uh, Ram man Stratos They're They're a team already. So we have a cohesive group of these guys who are going up against forces of evil on Eternia. Right. And I really dug that, you know, you could see, okay, there's a generational thing. So then when He-Man shows up and Adam 16 mm-hmm. becoming He-Man in this episode, then there is this sense of he's got these seasoned warriors to help him too. It's not just he's going to take the lead and it's all him and it's he's the he's always going to have all the answers. I like that that gives all the masters this kind of level playing ground of experience that they're at least starting off with. But again, there is some clunky storytelling, like you're saying, because one of the things even about that sequence that always kind of bothered me mm-hmm. and we're going to get in, I might as well just throw them out here really quick so yeah, that we yeah. can address it. The The first one is after that fight, the opening fight between Randor and Keldor, and we have the origin of Skeletor happening in front of our eyes, which is honestly, it's pretty cool that we get that whether or not you want him to be, Keldor as this is his origin or whatever. Hey, 2000 X gave us that great. Um, but you have, you know, he, Randor tells the warriors, you know, go after them and all this stuff so that all of the other warriors leave after Keldor's wounded and the evil warriors are taking him to go get help. And he's left there to hear speechifying by the sorceress. Right. And that just kind of bugged me. I knew it was a way that they needed to tell the story kind of succinctly. And they weren't able to go opening up bigger ideas or whatever. They're trying to give you hints. But the way it was done, just it's like Sorceress is the person who just wants to tell these these abstract things to these characters. And they just have to believe it based on faith. And it drives me crazy on this because you have that and the whole, you know, a hero will rise and you will know him. How will I know this hero? You know, and it's like, okay. And then when uh, you have the birthday party for Adam, which is actually like right after this anyway. So we're just right. progressing. We have man at arms pulling Adam aside during it because he gets a telepathic uh, message from the sorcerer saying to bring Adam to Grayskull. So he's like, Adam, we got to go to Grayskull. And Adam's like, it's another birthday surprise. Right. And that whole thing just makes me cringe. Cause I'm like, uh, you know, like I know what they're going to do, but they're playing it up kind of silly with him being like, Oh, it's all about me. It's a birthday surprise. Then when he gets to the castle, the sorceress is there telling him everything. Right. And Adam's just standing there going, right. I got to go now. And he walks out. It's like, I'd be the same freaking way. This yeah. crazy bird lady's telling me I'm going to become this magical hero. Mm-hmm. And I'd be looking at her going, you're nuts. Like, yeah, what absolutely. are you even telling me? So 
I feel like that is clunky storytelling in my opinion as well, because I feel like she, she reveals the hand way too quickly for this game. You know, like I feel like there's too many things on the table and maybe it could have been done a little more mysteriously or done in a way where Adam finds out on his own rather than being told yeah. this, just like Randor finds out on his own without being told this. Like he maybe mm-hmm. he sees at the end when he man shows up to help him in his fight with Skeletor and have him just kind of go, you know, like it, it, him see it and then realize it was something he heard about or whatever, but it wasn't like pushed on him in the way that it was. Right. And that's just, you know, that's just me. But that's one of the things. It's like you got the twirling, you got the big flying fish, which drives me (laughs) crazy. And you got sorceress speechifying, which for me is like, I I feel like there would have been a clever way of handling that better than how it was handled. Every time it gets to that point, it always feels like it's this clunky note that they give it. Whereas it could have been, I, I, I couldn't even explain how I'd like to see it done differently after all the times I've seen this. I just keep on looking at it and going, just not like that. <laughs> yeah, it was. I see what you're saying there. Um, I did like the fact that he initially uh, rejects the sorceress and rejects the sword. And like you said, I think it. I think that's consistent with how a 16 year old would react when addressed yeah. with the situation. Um, yes, they played up Adam being carefree and uh, quite a bit of a jerk, really. Mm-hmm. Um, self-absorbed. Very much. Yeah, basically, very self-absorbed. And it, I like that, too, because yep. Filmation always had it, he's carefree. This version of it, it's, no, he's a teenager. Right. You know, they, they were instilling him with stuff that made it not that different for somebody my age to look at it and go, that would have been the same way. I, it, we're, we're, it's like, where's the girls? You know, I'm like, where, where are the girls? This is my party. I want the girls. Exactly. I'm, not, I'm not worried about this crazy bird lady telling me this stuff. And, and that's what worked for me as far as, cause filmation, it was always in, well, you had the argument, but for me, it was always basically the Prince Adam that the public knows. And even Tila knows and sees is, is the act. And, yeah. and the real Prince Adam is more like he, man, he just can't, be like that normally he's got to put up this act but to me it's like okay it makes perfect sense that if you go back to before he had the power like that's actually how he would be mm-hmm. that he he did grow up self-absorbed he did grow up a jerk i mean he's the he's the prince in this mm-hmm. era, and in this mythology it, he's the first prince ever of eternia um for me if if you add in i know it didn't actually happen but it also wasn't explicitly stated it didn't happen. But if you add in the fact that Adora was kidnapped as yeah. as a infant, um, like you said, and like I've done in the past, like his upbringing must have been so like protected. Yeah, I mean, we lost a baby. Mm-hmm. We're not going to lose another one. Yes, I know. Scream at me in the comments that it didn't actually happen <laughs> in two thousand X. Yeah, but to me, it also didn't not happen. Um, yeah, they never ever said that she wasn't a part of it on the show. They never gave right. they ne- the show never went on to get, address that. Right. So it wasn't so, addressed. Yeah. So it, it it didn't happen and it also didn't not happen. But yeah, so he must have had such restricted upbringing and also given so much slack if you want to say because especially mm-hmm. the queen would have been like, you know, he's my baby, he's my only baby, you know, I had mm-hmm. two babies, I only have one left. 
damn it, Randor, let him do what he wants. You know, mm-hmm. stop pushing him. Stop, you know. So, and that also builds up, which I thought was was showcased quite nicely, is Randor's frustrations with Adam. Yeah. You know, he can't find him when he needs him. And at this point, to me, this is all Adam. Like, this is Adam. This is how he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works in the episodic nature, not the episodic nature, the 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 chronological nature that 2000X did because he does grow over the series. Yeah. yeah. And this part of him does become the act. Mm -hmm. And so if you're watching the beginning and you're going, well, he's too whiny, he's too much of a jerk. Yes. That's the point. Keep watching. Um, Yeah. It gets to a point where you feel for him and you feel for what he has to do. And he realizes once they break down the mystic wall and he see, and that's right after this. He rejects the sword. He rejects the sorcerer. He heads back, and he sees his home just in flames, destruction mm-hmm. everywhere. And from that point on, it's it's the growth of Adam. Yeah, filmation yeah. is all about the family and relationships. Two thousand X is all about Adam growing and becoming mm-hmm. the hero that Eternia needs. And so they plant the seeds, and they follow up with it. That's true, and and the thing is. Um... He-Man is a character that to me is hard to pin down because no matter what version you do, except for probably the mini comics, he's a magical construct built around Adam and Adam is the heart and soul of that character. So in order for me, at least to appreciate He-Man, I got to at least be there gunning for, you know, Adam. I want to have him win. I want to see him progress and grow and show that he has the qualities that come out, you know, bold and proud through He-Man in his actions. And um, like one one of the movies that I thought did a really good job of making me care about the character underneath something else mm-hmm. before he becomes uh, the icon is Batman Begins. Yep. Like we're on, we're on. Um, hang on a second. Yeah. I just had a call come through and they, it stopped. Um, it, it, Batman <laughs> begins, uh, Bruce Wayne, you're on the, the, the course for him to become Batman in that movie. And you actually care about that character becoming what we want him to become. And it's the same with Adam. Like Adam, they start you off with him. You're getting to see he's not the greatest idea of someone who should be the defender of Eternia. He even, when the sorceress says to him, you're going to become He-Man. And he's like, and guess what? You've got the greatest warrior on Eternia, Man-at-Arms, you know? <laughs> and and I love that he just passed mm. the buck in that, that sequence. And it's like, you know, in, in all reality, I have always questioned, how is it Randor never got the sword over Adam? Because Randor is the king. How mm. is this the case? And in 2000X it opens up the idea of, okay, Randor number one already saw that time. He's past the point of being a warrior and he's become the king because him being in these battles made, I'm guessing it made the attorneys believe in him so much. And they, they, it was like Eisenhower, the way I look Mm -hmm. at it, where, you know, you led us through this really dark period and we believed in you. Then we're going to believe in you now by you're going to now rule us. Because you displayed these things that made us feel, you know, you were to be trusted. You were to be a leader for us or whatever. So in that way, he already has that credibility. He's got that status. And in 2000X, you also see he's wounded. 
his one knee is mechanical, probably due to being in the fights in the war. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like Adam being the next choice makes sense because, like I said, the generational thing, you have man-at-arms probably being in his 40s and, you know, mid-40s. You have Randor probably being, you know, his, you know, 30s to 40s, and he's already got a kid. It makes sense that the kid's going to be the one picking up the sword to help. Right. And the fact that Randor gets captured is another reason in this why Adam would get the sword at least too. So there's a trifecta that is a believability at least here. But the one thing I really wanted to say real quick after all of that is 2000X Randor is awesome. I yeah. love how they made 2000X Randor on so many levels. They they make it where you can see the man that he hopes Adam will be through his actions. You also see his respect and loyalty to other factions later in the show. You also see his courage because he's going off to fight the evil warriors. And now they're different than how they were when he fought them last, but he's still going into battle with them. He's willing to defend his, his land, his castle, his kingdom. And it's like, it's hard for me to watch 2000 X and go. Randor is kind of pointless in this. He really (laughs) plays a pivotal good role in being a good example for his son to become a hero, but he's also a hero in his own right, which is great. Well, and you saw it to me, basically what it did is, um, it, it's not necessarily a different Randor, but we get to see more of him because mm-hmm. you got the glimpses of that information. Uh, Prince Adam, no more. He talks about what he was like in his youth yeah, and he gets yeah. right in there and he fights. So, but yes, he's a more well-balanced Randor, and he's, he's for me, the reason he didn't get the sword, and we've talked about this before, is because he is a warrior. Mm-hmm. He is the military guy. He's the guy who, if he had gotten the power of Grayskull, I have no doubt that he would have changed into He-Man, and he would have never changed back. Mm-hmm. And he would have he seen goes, it. Go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. He goes... You know, this is it. This is the this is the nuclear weapon. This is I I can defeat everything. And he would have gone out, killed everybody that opposed him, and and just ruled. And you know, and there are other stories that we will get into that kind of deal with that with that kind of a future. Um, DC yeah. Comics notably um, mm-hmm. bring up the whole issue. And it's one I agree with is is the old saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Agreed, yep. Randor will do anything for his kingdom, anything. And he's, and, and that could be a detriment. If, he, if he's got too much power, and, you know, you kind of even see it in season two when he decides to get a council together again because he realizes, like, I can't keep making all these decisions on my own. Mm-hmm. Um. I will say that I think the story is weakened by the fact that he's the first king of Eternia in a long time. Mm-hmm. I like, I I prefer the more, um, the bloodline that this has been. Uh, uh, a Their royalty that, the for royalty, generations. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the lineage. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just think it. I think it goes for a better story. I just think. Well, I think it opens up a whole another can of worms because I, uh, 
it seems like there'd be, and I know they came at it a little bit, like there was a great unrest in there between the time Skeletor was imprisoned and by the time we join up with them. Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't feel like that, even with, and that's the other thing, the elders just kind of disappear. Yeah. Um, it's really quick, they're battling, and the elders are gone. So it's not even like the elders went and were like, hey, here's Randor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they leave. It's yeah. They disappear in the middle of a battle. For all the Eternians know, and yes, I'm digging deep. That's what we're doing here. For all the Eternians <laughs> know, Randor killed them all and is assuming a throne that never existed until you get back to the distant, distant past. Like... So for me, I just I just don't feel like in 16 years that we would see the peacefulness that we have, which is also integral for Adam to have been raised in the peacefulness, you know, yeah. because he's got to be that kid who has never seen war before. He's mm-hmm. trained for it because Man Arms is his mentor, but so so physically he's ready. And I will say that the the they did a good job of. Of making Adam not look like He Man, but he still looks like he could hold his own. His biceps and everything, like yep. for yeah. a sixteen-year-old kid, he's jacked. Like I would love to have that kind of those kind of muscles right now. Yeah. Um. So they Agreed. did a good job of of making it believable, unlike some current series, that <laughs> the this kid is still a warrior. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, that that's my tweaks. That that's a big problem I have is that the, I honestly, if I was doing it, I probably would have left like most of the stuff with the elders off of there, and then revisit it in a later episode as a flashback, more of a like, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. And maybe even just have them disappear in the time of uh, King Miro, well, Captain Miro in this, mm-hmm. rather than Randor. That way, you've just, you've just got more time to deal with these potential ramifications. But of course, this is at the end of the day, it's all written for kids. Yeah. And and I, I don't know, like there's a part of me that I like seeing that battle sequence in the beginning. I like that we started off with something where it shows some history and the generational aspect, like I said, but it's handled in a way where it is a little clunkier than I'd like it to be. So then it makes all these other mystical aspects clunkier throughout the episode. The speechifying is there, which kind of, it drives me a little crazy. And the whole, I I always pictured, and maybe this is me with filmation sorceress. I always pictured sorceress as somebody who would have been a little gentler in how she would have told Adam about this. And the way that she, it's like, 2000X is where the characters who were more a father figure or a motherly figure go to become, no, I'm not giving a crap about that old thing. I'm going to make me be urgent and make me be, in in Man at Arms case, kind of a dick at times. So, you know, like, Sorceress always had, like, an alienness to her in this Mm -hmm. series for me. She was colder. There's moments of warmth. Like, Larry Dottilio brought out a lot of good warmth with her in his Lessons episode that we'll touch yes. at some point. But, you know, for other other times, it's like she's looked at as more of this, this like, um, mystical, cold woman. And, and that kind of makes me a little sad at times, too, because for her to be addressing it to Adam, like, we need you to do this. There's a little, you know, well, you, affle- you attract 
more bees with honey, you know, <laughs> there's, Absolutely. there's that idea of it to me or, or more flies with honey, I should say. <laughs> but, um, like no, that, that stuff is a clunker in, in some ways. So she's definitely, they, they played up the tragic side. Sorry. She's like a hermit almost in some ways, th- this version compared to filmation too. Yeah. They played up that, they played up the tragic side. This sorceress mm-hmm. has been consumed with, her duty to Grayskull, the loss of her daughter, not, you mm-hmm. know, not when well, that loss, but she can't raise her. She can't be with her. You know, she, she can't be a part of her life. Um, yeah, this sorceress is much more hardened by everything that has happened in her duty than whereas the filmation one, she went the opposite way. She took that loss and she became more of a motherly figure to everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I can't directly be a part of Tila's life, but I can help these people and this people and protect the planet, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah, I, I would have liked her a little softer, um, but I get I get why they went the way they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for the, the, the monologue, well, not really monologue, but yeah, what you're saying with the sorceress, but she was, she kind of acted like the narrator without hitting kids over the head with it, like, yeah. you know, speaking. But honestly, if I was going to change it, uh, that's probably what I would do is rather than, um, I want to clarify what I said earlier, I don't want that big opening battle. Like, I thought the opening battle worked well. Seeing the final battle between Ranger's forces and Keldor's forces and the acid and all that, that worked great. Um, I that sh- To me, that shouldn't have been the moment that the Elders vanished. And like you said, with the, with the sorceress prophesying, prophesizing, Prophesying? Prophesizing, um, I think. I think sizing, <laughs> yeah. That's the part, like that, honestly, if they'd even done the final battle, Randor's watching the forces being driven away, and then just cut to some narration. Yeah. To kind of show the passage of time, and have the sorceress just straight up talking to the audience, like, you know, uh, years passed, the forces were locked away, you know, um, and they even could have reached back to some filmation and, and done the, the, the hall of, uh, uh the hall of mirrors. Pictures, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and kind of shown like little snippets, kind of like they did. Cause I, I think in this episode you see like man arms and the sorceress, like making the mystic wall, right? You get it. Yeah. You get a little light to that. If I remember, I, I know they show it. Yeah, I don't I remember, remember what episode it is off the top of my head. If it's exactly this episode or not, but you could have done little snippets and like, you know, shown a snippet of, you know, like I said, the Eldor's like giving way to Randor and actually like setting him up rather than just like, we're gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So that, that part there probably would have been a smoother transition is just to actually narrate to bridge through the two decades or so that passed between there. Cause you also got to figure there's a period Adam 16, but mm-hmm. with the great unrest and everything in there, you're probably looking closer to probably 20 years between the opening scene and the second scene. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I mean, there had to have been at least a few years in between there for the great unrest and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then you get, you get the Adam's birthday party. This is where we first see, you know, Manny faces, uh, mm-hmm. this the first time we saw Cringer. Cringer. Um, I can't remember if Orko's toy had been revealed or not, 
But it was just nice to, and this was the moment where it's like, oh, he's he's just there. He's just a part of the core. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will say about that is I wish that there had been less masters as part of the old generation. Because I felt there were just too many old guys, or not that there were too many old guys on the team, but that they didn't, like, technically Mechanex in that opening scene. So he's 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 a good 20 years older than He-Man 2. Yeah. Whereas he didn't really age between, you know, they showed, they did a good job on some of them. They showed Randor having the brace and kind of looking a bit older, new co- new king design rather than captain. Uh, Man-at-Arms grew out the mustache, which yeah. is their go-to <laughs> now for young Man-at-Arms versus old. Mm-hmm. Um, Stratos, I can, I can buy him as an older character because he's the leader of his people. And I would assume back then when he was fighting, he wasn't the leader, and that's a way you could show passage there. Mm-hmm. But, like, Mechanek and Ram Man, like, to me, they need to be a little bit closer to their prime. Um, I mean, I guess you could say maybe they were in their teens when they were fighting there, but that mm-hmm. still put them a good, like I said, 20 years older than than the current generation. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I wish that they either either they'd made them younger or they'd shown them age more because the mechanic that we join up with here watching Adam and Tila training is is just as he feels just as old as that was fighting twenty years ago. So, yeah, yeah. But uh, but I like it. I like there's there's little subtle nods. Um, I always felt that this music here during Adam and Tila's Jousting scene is very filmation. Um, it feels like, a, I can't remember which, the track name, but it feels like a sped up version of, of one of the filmation tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave me hopes for the music in the series, which is not on par with filmation and, and, but it, it was nice here. It, it, it's got a good atmosphere. It's not filmation, mm-hmm. but it's got a nice atmosphere. It's got its own feel. Um, they got, they, they, you can tell they did their research cause they got the little nods, like they got the hover discs from the 87 movie. Yeah. I thought that was fun. The um, nice little touch. Yeah. It's, it's nice. There's nice fun little touches throughout that make you sit there and go, okay, they did their homework. Like mm-hmm. they absolutely did, did some homework and, uh, everyone, everyone's personality in this opening is played to the extreme. Tila's the extreme, you know, harping on Adam. Adam's yeah. the extreme jerk. Man at Arms is the extreme mentor. Randor's the, but it's it's the beginning. It's there for a reason because we've only got three episodes cut into a movie to get you to know the basics of these characters. Yeah. So yes, everyone's playing their extreme role. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I love the dark hemisphere on this Eternia a lot more than I do the light. The light to me, just it was too earthly for me um, compared to other series. But the dark hemisphere, you got those volcanoes everywhere and the ash clouds mm-hmm. and the lava everywhere. And you got you really get a feel for the evil of these warriors when we get to Snake Mountain here. For all these guys to survive on this yeah. part of the planet, like these have to be the most baddest group of guys ever. You know, and the the nice thing about this version for me is 
they don't really make any of the the bad guys turn into just bumbling fools. No, they 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 definitely wow. make yeah. them have. Well, okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But P- they push the button, <laughs> and the whole it took you five years to find the crystal, and you couldn't even clean it off. You know and all that. But, that line still killed. I cringed last night with it. Mm. It's just. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, and then just the whole, he, he rubs it on Beast Man, or, yeah. you know, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I like how on this one they really do try and make the villains into yeah. proper villains more than than as comedy relief. And I know the reason Filmation did it was more they didn't want to scare the kids, probably. They wanted to have it, you know, He-Man would always have their back, and he he's going to take care of business. And on here, they open up the door to maybe some of these guys could actually take down He-Man depending on what they have going for him or whatever. Right. And it was, it was the craziest thing watching this to hear Brian Dobson do Skeletor and go, so this is how Alan, Alan Oppenheimer could have sounded if he wanted to make this sound really threatening. Yeah. And I, I liked like, um, 2000 X Skeletor is, he is refreshing to me because there's a little Frank Langella, Mm-hmm. to his performance. And there's also still the Alan Oppenheimer to bridge the generational gap there. And, uh, but there is definitely less comedy with Skeletor on this than there ever was on filmation, which I really thought was great too, because I was one of those kids where I'm like, it, it's fun to see, okay, he and Skeletor showing up on TV every day. But when you see how often there's a comedic moment with Skeletor at times, it's like, I don't need him to be comedic. He's supposed to be somebody that I'm scared to death of, and He-Man's going to take care of business. And on this, they really pushed him to be less cuddly. <laughs> no, exactly. They, t- they did. That's exactly what they did. They took that Skeletor voice and just dropped it into this range where it's still instantly, like, you play a clip of that, and, and almost anyone's going, oh, that sounds like Skeletor. But mm-hmm. he knew he couldn't replicate Oppenheimer. And he didn't try. And mm-hmm. that's the nice thing. A lot of these characters, their voices are distinctly different, but you can tell, once again, that they did the research. They listened to some old episodes, and they went, well, I can't do that, but I can get the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. And that was nice. I will say, um, let's go Let's go ahead and throw it out there. Um, we're running a bit longer than I wanted to in runtime, but let's let's talk about the transformation sequence. I think that's probably one of the big things that's left to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Um, this transformation sequence. It is one of my least favorite transformation sequences. Ah. It is. It is. It's too busy while also being underwhelming. I will say, though, watching the beginning. I love this transformation sequence. My big problem with it is that this, specifically the transformation sequence in the beginning, became the every episode transformation sequence. And that's what bugs me the most, because this transformation sequence works very well as this is the first time Adam has ever transformed. He's having trouble with the sword. It drops down. You know, Sorceress, it'll soon to be much lighter in the hands of He-Man. Mm-hmm. You know, him really just, the effort to get it even up to say by the power of Grayskull, you see 
all the power, the castle lighting up, just as big like, this is what... Because it's, it's well into the second episode before we hit this transformation sequence. Mm-hmm. And all of it just builds, and he gets it up, and he the power just flows out of Castle Grayskull. It's this big, life-changing, universal moment. Mm-hmm. And it works there. And that's the only time it worked for me. Because seeing Adam struggle to lift that sword up every episode for the next 23 after that, 24 after that. Well, now he went and transformed in part three. So 23 after that doesn't make sense because after that first time, the sword has its new form. It, it has a smaller atom form, which I also really like that the sword was able to adapt and go, well, he can't, he can't walk around with this big sword all the time. And it's a similar design, but it's different enough where it helps with the secret identity. Again, like with Adam being a different build than He-Man, it helps with the secret mm-hmm. identity. And throughout the series, you see similar style swords. Rander's sword in the beginning was a similar style with even a jewel in the middle. You know, it's it looks eternal. It looks like a lot of people use swords that look like this. So that helps me too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for me, seeing Adam struggle to lift his his own size power sword every time, it, it killed it for me. And, and the the cutaways, like every time we had to see Grayskull lighting up, like for me, it work it it works the first time. It doesn't it doesn't work every time. They should have had a simplified transformation, a regular transformation. It doesn't even have to be straight filmation, mm-hmm. but uh, but they should have done a simplified one. For his everyday, and that's probably why I like the season two one better. I rank that higher overall because it, even though it's still got the drop, I don't know it's it's, it's different. It's a bit simpler. Um, but go ahead, Sean. I don't mean to monopolize. <laughs> well, okay. the The thing about like okay, one of the one of the negative points that I had about the show from the get-go was the transformation sequence, which to me, even though I, I'm more of a mini comic guy over a lot of the other iterations since then, as I've gotten older, the transformation sequence is such a huge part of every day watching the show as a kid that it just, it's essential to the story of He-Man at this point, no matter what I say, it's like, yes, but I need that transformation because it was it was something when I was a kid, that was like you received your testosterone injection in your eyeballs every freaking day at three o'clock, you right. know, like and and the thing about it is it was so elegant in the way it conveyed how powerful of a, of a change that was. Right. The the voice acting in it, mm-hmm. even with John Irwin. That man is untouchable for me in a way of how you do that moment. And uh, I mean, his, I, I, I've always said this anytime anybody asks me, but his version of I have the power is this primal cry of, he, he's basically, it's like the whole, I'm drawing the line. You would think you have the power. I have the power. And it's like, you don't even question that he-man has the power once john Irwin tells you that in that moment and it gives me chills every time i think of it because it's it's such a kinetic moment that doesn't use 
a lot of wasted animation to show here's how Adam becomes He-Man. And this is, it's all, it's a, it's a chorus of everything. It's the animation. It's the posing. It's the actual, like the background with Grayskull being the centerpiece backdrop behind him showing this is where he's drawing his power from, but it doesn't need to have any more than that. Right. And you have the effects that they used and the theme song. Yep. All of that in chorus, boom, you have something that is so true blue masters of the universe and to even go back and try to remake something like that or revise it, you're never going to hit lightning in a bottle like that, you know? And when I watched 2000 X, that was one of the main things I was excited to see because I'm like, okay, how are they going to pull that off? That, Right. Literally, that and the theme were the two that mattered to me, and both of them didn't hit. So that's kind of why I I walked away, you know, exactly. in a sense. I had it so keyed up, it needed to be something close to what I remembered. And I'm like, maybe they'll do it this way or that way because of the animation getting different in, in uh, anim- you know, cartoons in general. Yeah. And instead, like I, I'm okay with him doing the swinging part still. And I know you're not, but it's like. The swinging part for me had this element of like, it's almost like he's, he's getting ready to go into battle. It's almost like, you know, he's, he's getting ready. He's, he's pumping himself up with that swing in a sense, you know? Okay. Real quick. The, if he'd done a swing. Okay. But to me, all I saw, and I know they cut it slightly different, but all I saw was because they use the exact same animation. All I saw was from when he dropped it, you know, he takes it out of the case, which I case yeah. was a badass animation. Yes. Um, yeah. Great design. He takes out the case and he drops it and then he swings. So if they had even gone and like animated it like one handed where he's like whips it out and swings it around like that or something. Mm-hmm. Like I'm cool with that. Well, the, uh, like that transformation ahead. is almost its own separate thing to me because right. that one did do something different than the, the other one. The other ones it is, you know, he does, he pulls it out and he whips it around a little bit more than that one where it's like, okay, it's on the ground and he has to use momentum to get it in the air. Yeah. But I, I think I don't mind that. And to be honest, Cam Clark, he's not John Irwin, no. but I really liked his delivery of by the power of Grayskull. There's yeah. like this hopefulness to that. There, there's this energy and youthfulness that wasn't there in John Irwin saying it because John Irwin was very much, he had a certain register and he, you know, Adam had a higher register a little bit more, yeah. but you could just tell, no, it's, this is John Irwin, Cam Clark doing his voice and then that working. But then when the actual like blast happens in filmation, that blast is so instantaneous, but it's like, you don't need any more. That's it. Boom. He's he man. And then you have the, I have the power with that moment. And in this one, now it's like, okay, you have the camera going all around with, with how that whole moment goes. And you have him still with the sword in the air doing, I have the power, which uh, for a lot of people was odd. Sure. And the the one part that I liked, and I, I still don't like how he says I have the power. The yeah. only time I ever heard Cam Clark say I have the power on the show is when he's not playing He-Man. We'll get into that on that episode when we get to it. <laughs> but that one's the one where it's like that was how it should have been done the entire time, in my opinion. Oh, um, for sure. But but the I, I kept on listening to his version of I have the power. I'm like, where have I heard this? And then I'm like, holy crap, that's the ring announcer in Vegas that always yeah. does all the boxing matches. He's doing that 
that almost verbatim, I have the power. It's like, it's not that. It's supposed to be this primal scream of, he, you know he has the power and he's he's belting it out because it's either that or he'll explode in that moment because of all the surging energy around him and stuff. I agree with you. Um, Do you know what he's actually, uh, have you ever, I think it was an interview with Cam Clark directly. Do you know what he was actually told to do with that I have the power? Do you know what he's really trying to do there? My guess, I don't know really, but my guess is it's showing Adam becoming a man. Well, yeah, so but, it's, but other than that, I, I go for it. Tell but me. he's actually, <laughs> if you, uh, the, uh, the theme music at that point, it's like, and he was told for the, I have the power to go in that tune. Oh, they suck. Like they were trying to <laughs> go watch it again with that knowledge. Oh, Cause that's what you I... do that. I have the power. Oh, I don't like that more now that you said that, and I can see it, and it bugs that's, me more. That's, like that's that was the instructions for him oh. was to try. Like that was the I have the power tune, and oh. they wanted him to mat like kind of match it up with that's, that. That's what, like that, oh, not that's sing like, it, but almost like the, so it built with the music. That's that, why it's that, drawn oh. out like that. That that makes me cringe on a level of it would be like if somebody had the Secret of the Sword theme song and they played it for John Irwin and said, you have to sing it. I have the power. It's like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that to me. Well, that is actually what the lyric is in that song. So No, I know. And that's what's making me go like, oh, like. I don't know. I always equated it to the ring announcer, but now that you say that, it makes sense. But it's yep. still like it didn't need to be a musical key no. or a, or anything. That's supposed to be one of those. It's bellowing out something because it's it's just this primal, essential thing that's happening, you know. Exactly. And and that to me is so key in the master's line. It's just that's how it is. But yeah. um, the and one I think- thing I do. Oh. Oh, go ahead. Uh, the the one thing that I will say I do like about the ending of it, though, is I like the pose he gets into when it's finished. It's like this battle ready, like he just, oh, sure. boom, and he, he's got the sword out and he's got his arm out. And there's this like battle ready crouch he has going on, which I was like, he and I like when he gets into it, they had this almost like, ching, and I right. thought that was cool. No, and I think, like I said, I think there's a lot of good elements to it. Just, just edit it down a little bit. Get, get. Uh, oh yeah. No cutaways. There should be no cutaway. You're on Adam. This is his yeah. transformation. I don't need to see Grace go flowing with power every time. Like that yeah. was cool the one time because it was his first one and he's writing Grace Skull. <laughs> but Grace Skull reminded me of like the hey, you want to rave? It's over here. Come right, like, Skull, just... y'all. You know, <laughs> it's like disco, crazy lights going out in Grace Skull, and and that's the other thing too. It's like exactly. They, I would have loved for them to do a storyline at some point in the show to have Skeletor figure this out because they made it so obvious with all that happening with Grayskull in that moment that it's like I, – I thought about it just the other day. I'm like, why didn't they ever have a, anything yeah. where uh, – Skeletor is a sorcerer. How could he not have uh, seen He-Man as a magical construct and therefore it would have, it would have keyed him into it's someone else? You know, and who is this? You know, and they even go there in the the season one or season two opener 
And that bothers me that they never got to address that the Skeletor might have figured out there's something up with this. And we'll yeah. get to that at some point, too. We will. <laughs> and uh, speaking of uh, fan fiction, um, I know you spoke about it like two hours ago when we started, but <laughs> I had I wrote my own fan fiction, which, like I told you, will never see the light of day. But the, no, it was I – honestly, I doubt <laughs> I even had that anymore because that was like – two or three computers ago, and I highly doubt I backed any of that up anywhere. But I had I had written, it was set in 2000X, because most all my writing I did, like, was after 2000X ended, and I had, a, back when I was young, and had a lot of free time. And I, had, I introduced Malik from Wizard of Stone Mountain into the 2000X series, and he, I did, I, I wrote that. I wrote that he was able to, he was actually a strong enough magician in my story that he could see Adam through He-Man. Oh, no. That's cool. It wasn't that he could see him through He-Man. It's, he could tell He-Man was the magic and he could read the magic off of Adam's sword. That's how he put, that's how I had him put it together. I, um, that's cool. See, I, I would have loved to have something like that happen because... I thought about it the other day. I'm like, how is it that Evelyn and Skeletor are both sorcerer characters? And they never, ever could figure that out. You know, but, it just, yeah. But I did have, and I, I did address that too, because I always think about like, the I try and always think about the ramifications when I'm coming up with my own ideas and stories. And mm -hmm. I did have him say, because like, Adam's like, well, how'd you figure it out? Because he basically just tell, I had my Malik be very cocky, you know, which I think mm -hmm. he was a bit in Wizard of Stone Mountain. Um, I had him be be very cocky, and you know he basically just tells him like, at one point they need help. And he's like, he's like, well, why don't you just transform into He Man? And he's like, wait, what? What, what are you talking about? You know, yeah, the dial the dialogue was probably worse than that to be honest. With you. <laughs> and Malik goes, you know, I've seen He Man, I've seen your sword, I can tell that the magics are the same. Like, and, and Adam goes, well, if you can tell, uh, you know, does that mean Skeletor knows? And he something. I don't even know if I gave any specifics, but he, he was like, you know, well, he's like, no, the, the, the way the magic is, it, it wards against the dark sorcerers. Like I used, like there was okay. like Malik draws his from the light side and evil and Skeletor draw from the dark side and the power, you know, Malik didn't know it was the power of Grayskull, but Grayskull's magic is able to ward off the, the, the evil, the magic evil magic. From seeing yeah. that, so that's cool. So yeah, that's, so I, <laughs> that's, I I thought along the same lines. It's, it's kind of interesting because nice. it's the first time anyone's ever said the same thing. Is like, doesn't anybody? Because there's got to be traces of that if you follow any yeah any magic using like mythology. There's got to be traces of that. So yeah. that that's cool to uh, they're both on the same page there. Um. So yeah, I think we're a little bit over. Too. So I think this will probably be a good place to wrap up. Yeah, I, I will say <laughs> that we will definitely get back to this. Hopefully, at some point in the future, we'll find we want to find a way to actually uh, play the episodes and you know do more of a commentary style, which will probably help us get more focused. We I know we jumped around, <laughs> and honestly, well, there's a lot more to episodes. discuss still in this episode. Um, oh, but yeah. I don't want to keep you guys on here for too long. Um, so this is definitely an episode episodes that we'll revisit in the future. Um, Sean, any closing thoughts on this one? 
Um, I, I like that there is an origin in this. That's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I like that we get to see the beginnings of all this stuff and I like that it sets the ball rolling for the rest of the series. Um, it has its clunker moments. There's no way around that, but Hey, you know, not everything's perfect. The first try, that's all there is to it. So, and the, the show gets better as it goes. Um, but yeah, kudos to Dean Stefan, a, a guy who was not a fan to create something that it's, it's still impactful. Even here we are going on 20 years later. So yeah, I'll it say, works. I'll say, uh, same thing. It's, it's, it's a serviceable origin. Um, it's, it's, it works. It works for this series. It sets the tone for what's to come. It gives you a starting point to, to grow from, and it does grow. If you haven't seen it in a while, check it out. If you've never yeah. seen it, definitely check it out. Um, we'll all agree, sword uh, transformation sequences, simpler is better. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I highly recommend this. It is a great start to 2000X series. Check it out. Uh, go ahead. I'll say right now. Please hit the button, like, subscribe, check us out on Facebook. We have a Legends of Grey School fan page. Um, let us know. Drop us a line. Drop some comments down below. Let us know what you like, what you disliked. Tell me all the times I got facts wrong because I know <laughs> I did. Um, and I, I don't mind being corrected. I we strive our best to do to get everything fat one hundred percent right, but sometimes these memories just don't hold up like we think they do. Uh, check out uh, Sean Scavarna. Uh, go ahead. What's your? Do you have my, an artist page? Yeah, my my art page is October Sun Art. Uh, the the artistic geekdom of Sean Scavarna, which now I really got to pare that down. That's a hell of a lot of <laughs> words to throw in there. It's a, it's like we were talking about the transformation sequence. So what do I have to go to do? Throw a huge title out there. It's like let's yeah. just streamline it to filmation. Just say. Sean Scavarna does art. Boom, done, or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, October Sun Art. Uh, that's my art page if you want to check out uh, random scribblings I've done lately. So He's done a lot of good pieces. Check out his just did 2000X Stinkor. Um, I'm sure I'll get that up on the Facebook group, and I'm, yeah, I'm sure you probably have it up on your page. Uh, yeah. yeah. Check us out. Drop us a line. Let us know what you liked, what you disliked. Let us know if there's an episode or a book or something that you want us to discuss. Um, yeah. We'll be jumping around to our stuff, but we definitely like to hear feedback. And if there, if we see a lot of people asking for something, or maybe you'll just trigger a memory. Because right now it's basically it. Uh, I'm going, I don't know about you, Sean, but I'm just going off my memory. Just like the first stories that pop into my head that aren't like the big stuff. That's what I'm going with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead and check us out. We're going to have, um, so like I said at the beginning of the show, it'll make more sense once we actually have episodes up on our YouTube page. But so every week we're going to do a show and a book. These will split up. The show will be probably about a full length episode, which this one was a little bit longer because it was so much and our intros. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll shoot for about an hour and then there'll be more like a half episode and that will be about the book. So make sure to check us out. We'll be coming back with a book episode in a little bit. Uh, this week we'll be doing The Magic Mirrors, the golden book. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get off on some random tangents. <laughs> I have some more fan fiction that goes along with this one. So oh. If you liked what I had earlier, check this out. If you didn't like what I said earlier, uh, check out the next episode still. Yeah. <laughs> There's always going to be something good. Don't worry about it. It's all masters. It's all good. That's what we're hoping. So, 
there's nothing else, until next nope. time. Until next time.